John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1229.PS11822, certificate number 42504. The Stone of Schoon. Schoon? Schoon? We're going to have to teach the controversy. You know, every once in a while, uh, we uh, here on the program actually do want to figure out how to pronounce a word. It's rare. We no, don't normally care. And in this instance, I would not have cared. But then Ken had some um, Alex P. Keaton desire to <laughs> nice. be right about this. Nice reference. <laughs> you, you know what archetype the young people love, Alex P. Keaton. Uh, and so uh, what I would call the stone of scone, because it literally it's is the word scone. S-C-O-N-E. And also it rhymes with stone. It's like a lovely yes, stone it's, of it's not the stone. Stu- of it's not the stone of scone. But then uh, Ken's like, oh no, they say scone. I found video of some Scots guy saying scone. You can find a video of a Scots guy saying anything. And he won't, literally be, and he won't be sober. The stone of scone. Stone of scone. You know, maybe it rhymes to them, but... Uh, Shakespeare actually rhymes it with one. Is there a chance it's the stone of scone? The stone of scone. In Macbeth, it's the stone of scone. Yeah. I, well, it complicating matters further in the British Isles when they put um, they put clotted cream and and uh, jam on a on a what on a scone. It's a scone. They kind of say scone, don't they? Weirdos. The rune of scone like, falls mainly on the plum. Like Genghis scone. The rune of scone falls main, moonly on the plume. Basically, we need to invent some new vowel that falls medially between. Un, on, on, and un. 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 The stern of skin. of skin. Uh, I believe the children are our future, but I also believe that I'm going to say, you should the, say. the stone of scone. Okay, let's do the beginning again then. Okay. Entry number 1229.PS11822. Certificate number 42504. The stone of scone. Actually, you know, the Scots pronounce it schoon. <laughs> they do? Yeah. Oh, now I feel inauthentic. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's a common misunderstanding. Uh, no one can understand the Scots when they speak. I know we have a lot of Scottish listeners, and I... And I tune out very quickly when you speak to me. <laughs> I very definitely apologize to you and the Irish listeners, uh, 
because I may defame you, but also we end up supporting you. So. The thing about the Scottish listeners is they listen to the show in droves, none of them on Patreon. Oh, interesting. I'm just kidding. Because the Scottish pound doesn't translate, <laughs> at, well, especially now. Because they're cheap, get it? Oh, I see. Yes. Oh, I didn't get it. No. The Irish are, are, uh, are on Patreon in droves. As a Welshman. But they give us their we, fairy gold, which immediately disappears as soon as it appears in Patreon. We always pledge the money, and then at the end of the, right before it gets charged, we take it back. Lol. Nobody will believe a pledge from a Welshman like ourselves. Uh, the Scots figure highly in this show. They were the ones that were so mad about my single malt scotch episode. No, that's in fact wrong. It was all a bunch of homebrewers in San Francisco that were oh. mad about it. The Scots had had bigger fish to fry. They're out. They're out building steam engines. You and, know, they fry regular sized fish in Scotland. Salmon, probably. Salmon. Isn't that what they're all people? Oh, I thought it was all cod. People are always going up to the rivers of Scotland for salmon fishing. Scotland. Or am I thinking of the Yemen? No, I think you're right. They're li- they're Atlantic salmon. Though. Yeah, we don't recognize them out here. They're not our correct no, our correct our salmon. Correct it's like it's like you see clam chowder and you're like, those aren't clams, sir. I've eaten clam chowder. That's no clam chowder. Uh, I suppose you're, uh, you've been thinking quite a bit about, about the royal family lately. <laughs> yeah, just staring at my, my wall full of collectible plates and mugs, thinking about the royals like I often do. You and your uh, lovely wife, Mindy, and your children have been to England many times. And, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to start pronouncing it England because they're, uh, of all of the pronunciations that, that people don't like, it is easily the most annoying one. Inglang is the one that makes people the maddest. And you refuse to explain it. Oh, well, um, so I will explain it. It's a boring story, and it's long, and here goes. No, it's not boring, but it's it's problematic. Oh, oh, I, here we go. I was in my room in a very old house, and uh, I was uh, trying to go to sleep in the night. Maybe not trying to go to sleep. Maybe I was reading. And I heard a commotion in the front yard and, um, there were, uh, so I of course got up and looked out the window and there were four kids who had pulled over, uh, probably because they needed to go to the bathroom and they were, they had come into my front yard and were peeing in the yard and they hey. were, they were African-American kids. And so I opened the window. Where was this, D.C.? This was, no, this was here in Seattle. Oh. And I leaned out the window and I said, hey, stop peeing in my yard. Because it was not an unfinished, you know, like gravel yard. It was a yard that I gardened in and had. You're so uptight. I was really uptight. And they laughed, uh, you know, as as uh, teenagers will do. And, um, and then as they were leaving, one of the girls, because they were girls. Oh, you buried the lead. Yeah. One of the girls turned back to me and said, go back to Inglang. <laughs> and then, and gotcha. they all, and they gotcha. all laughed and they got in their car and they drove away. And I was like, go back to Inglang. That's the sickest burn <laughs> I know. that has ever been delivered. <laughs> this got casually owned by a bunch of peeing teens. Like, Whoa. And I sat down on my bed and I was like, Go back to England. Wow. And so uh, uh, so I never pronounced the word differently after that because it feels like it feels like I've it's, been, it's your homeland. I have been 
I have been banished back to England, and it's only a matter of time. Do you use it for other countries? Do you say uh, Bangkok, Thailand? I've never been told to go back to Thailand. I've only once been, t- and I was like, I feel very legitimate about asking you not to pee. Well, not even asking, telling you to stop peeing in my garden at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that, that famous English tradition of not peeing in one's garden. Please don't pee in someone else's garden. You can pee in your own garden, but yeah, go back to England. And then they all thought that was hilarious, which, you know, of course it, it, it was. It occurs to me that for Scotland, you could say Scott Lang. Scott Lang. Which I believe is Ant-Man's name. Scott Lang. Isn't Ant-Man Scott Lang? <laughs> Well, anyway, no one ever told me to go back to Scotland either. And, you know, they weren't wrong, right? If yeah. I were sent back to somewhere, if they, if somebody were... Yep. You that know, is your homelang. Yeah. Effectively going to... Ancestral homelang. Send me back to my homelang. Your motherlang. But I have noticed uh, a lot of talk online about, of all of my mispronunciations, that's the one that drives people crazy. It's all, so, those, it's all those teens. Yeah. They follow you on social now, and they're... Getting your goat. So I have decided that's the one that, yeah, maybe it irritates them because they all sensed the story. The the inherent racism of your story. And they felt like, <laughs> no, that's not, we don't, uh, we don't like uh, Im- uh, imitate we don't like other your, people's patois. We don't like your gentrifier story, Mr. No. Roderick. And so, so you're banished. And so anyway, I, it's harder to say than England, so I'm just going to switch back to it, You do have to hit it very hard when you do it. England. Maybe that's what annoys people. If you could find some way to not sell it so hard. Well, England. And the thing England. is, England, she put the she put the emphasis on the lang. I uh, mean, it is it does mean land of the angles, yeah. but usually they put that angle part before the land. Oh, I see what not you're saying. After. It's like a, yeah, she it, split it, does, it down the middle. It does come from angle land, I think. I wonder if they're still laughing about that. I wonder if she pronounces it that way. They probably, if they're homage. peeing in a, in a stranger's yard at 1 a.m., they probably don't remember it that clearly. They didn't remember it the next guess. day. Their geography is probably as hazy as their memory. But where do you fall? On the last episode, uh, on the lapsed on the episode, on the lapsed episode, in the last episode of this program, you you expressed a little bit of sympathy for Queen Elizabeth as a uh, as a monarch who probably, given what she was handed at the beginning, did a did a fairly good twentieth century job of it. Above average, yeah. Above average caretaker of a, of a lousy, lousy job. And so now we're facing in the recording of this show uh, a future with King Charles the Third. Oof. And how do you feel? Where do you stand on on uh, on Charlie? Where do I stand on him? Yeah. Where do you stand on? On his neck? On his yeah, ankles? Yeah, on his neck, probably. Uh, I mean, wh- were you, you were old enough to remember Lady Di, uh, but you don't, you probably are not old enough to remember the marriage and all the... Uh, I, I actually, hoopla. I actually remember the wedding. It's one you of the, it's one, what was it, 80, 80 or 81? Yeah, It's one early. of the first news events that I was following closely. Because of course I had grandparents and of course they were watching the royal fairy tale of wedding. Of course, of course. And so I, I remember all this progressing from, with the media story being... Die is the tabloid troublemaker. Charles mm-hmm. is a sympathetic one. Oh, well into uh, here are Camilla's emails, and Charles is the the buffoon, and really maybe the worst dirty talker in the history of the of the English language. Uh-huh. Um, and then well into the post Diana, uh, post Doty hagiography of she just was a sweet girl who wanted to help, who yeah. was at the mercy of a terrible family. And now kind of into this fourth phase where I feel like I know more about Charles now. And, you know, 
through fictional portrayals in movies and TV, you kind of come to feel for that guy who, who had to deal with the, you know, he's kind of got a legacy of family trauma too. the mean dad who sent him to the wrong because you've watched private the school and the the mentor who it turns out was some awful guy and at least the ira blew him up so that's nice um it, it, it just it just seemed like there's almost no chance for charles to be a normal person and he is not true to form right and uh, he what's went, your take he I, went, I guess that's four takes not one i don't know you know he spent a lot of time rehabilitating his image as an environmentalist and a good steward of the land. And do you think he cares? I, I how much is how much is image maintenance? I don't know. I feel like if you got to pick something, right? He's the Al Gore of of England. He never had his teeth redone, so that right? says something for maybe this is all authentic. His his Middle Age enlightenment. All those sartorialist websites that are always talking about uh, how to dress properly as a as a proper gentleman they're always really fond of showing pictures of charles wearing the same double-breasted blazer over the course of decades <laughs> and they actually zoom in on this particular blazer and show where it's been repaired the blazer has you know patches in it it's just a double-breasted blazer but they it's it's a there it's always used as an example of the austerity, mm-hmm. not only of the rich, but how that kind of austerity is a form of style that you, as a as a well dressed American, you know, don't be afraid to repair the frayed collar of your well made jacket. So that gives one at least a feeling like oh, that seems like a very John Roderick take on Prince Charles. Yeah, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't repair he, his clothes, he re- or he does. He does repair his clothes. <laughs> he does. So that's a vote in his favor, maybe. I remember, you know, when Lady Di and Charles got married, I was uh, a teenager and a dedicated... So was she, I believe. She was a little bit older than me. I was a dedicated subscriber to National Lampoon magazine at the time. And the Lampoon had gone through all of its really hard times losing its key the the funny people the funny people losing them to saturday night live right in the few years before (laughs) i became a subscriber i had all the old lampoons which inspired me and then i subscribed to the new lampoon which was edited by pj o'rourke this this happened to me with spy magazine so i have the yeah the younger gen x version of this yeah the, the early ones were great and then it became kind of like a parody of itself but in 1984, the Lampoon did a parody of Playboy magazine, and it had Bo Derek on the cover. Was it one of their kind of full magazine? It parodies? was a full mar- magazine yeah. and a parody, and the centerfold was Lady Die, and they basically just took her, took her face and superimposed it on a naked lady. This was this was shock humor in yeah 1984 because that's a princess that they're. Yeah, and it was a big scandal. Who can imagine? And of course, you know, I was I was uh, just old enough to have found a this parody by legal means, and so it was. It uh, it causes me to think of that whole era, the marriage of the prince and princess, the princess herself, always in the context of this Playboy parody, 
done by the less funny group of lampoon writers. <laughs> that would be like, that's like the TV shows that I only know through the Mad Magazine version. Yeah, right. It's like, wow, they're really zinging the streets of San Francisco this week. I can't shake it. Streets of San Francisco, a great TV show. Oh, I apologize for yeah, the implication. No, no, it's all right. Carl Malden. <laughs> Apologies uh, to Carl Malden <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> but um, the coronation of the king has yet to happen. And it's going to be a big event, right? Yeah, right. Probably not as big as the coronation of Elizabeth herself. Is it scheduled? I have not been following I don't this. think so. I think it's not scheduled. Because she waited almost a year or yeah. more. I can't remember when he died. Early 50, F- yeah, early 52, and she's not crowned until mid-53. Um, but Charles probably will get it done a little bit faster, if only because he's only got so long to live. Um <laughs> But uh, I'm sure sure that's what he'll say. But also there's, you know, I think there there's an awareness that there's a kind of crisis in the legitimacy of the monarchy. And let's get this all done. Let's get this guy on the throne before more of his letters come out. Yeah. Before the Tory party falls out of favor and there's a new socialist government that refuses to sign off on it. Um, But in order to crown Charles King, there needs to be a, uh, a little bit of a like a um, what, what would you say? A, a moving company has to get involved, huh? Because there's an element of the coronation of English monarchs that has only very recently, only in the 1990s, uh, been removed from Westminster Abbey, and no, and and uh, if he were to be crowned without this key component. Uh, I don't think it would be considered a legitimate, it wouldn't be a legitimate ceremony. It's not just that he would know in his heart that his reign would be somehow less, which would be less, true, less blessed, but also it's possible that it's not legally or traditionally. Well, you know, so much of it is based in tradition. Mm-hmm. Why are we even doing this? Why does it have to have to happen it's here? It's pretty much the root of monarchy is why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we still doing this? So, uh, all of the elements need to be in place. Otherwise, there's always going to be somebody that's like, no, it didn't, it's not legit. And the element currently resides in Scotland. It was only given back to the Scots in 1996. After, back to the Scots. Yes. So after, it, is, it is of Scottish origins. Well, no. What? But it resided in Scotland for a long time. And so, the, of course, the Scots lay claim to it as they do to everything that's been to Scotland. It's once it's consecrated by the Scots, it's never, it never isn't. I have never been to Scotland, so I'm not Scottish. Have you never been to Scotland? But you have. I have. So you are Scottish. Yes. And if it's not Scottish. It's rubbish. It's crap. It's crap. Ken, if you still haven't tried native deodorant, here's what you need to know. Okay. It's aluminum free. Okay. It offers 24 hour odor protection. Hold on. I'm taking notes. Could you talk slower? It's vegan. It's aluminum-free. Or as our friends in Englang would say, aluminium-free. Oh, I thought you were going to say vegan weird. I was like, how do the British say, do they say vegan? It's vegan. It's vegan from from planet, from the star Vega. It's vegan and cruelty-free. No, it's cruelty-free. It is not that cruel deodorant. The fact that it says it's cruelty-free strongly implies that other people have things in their medicine cabinets that are not cruelty-free. And I full of cruelty. If so, I urge you to consider the fine native suite of products. That's exactly right. It's made with naturally derived ingredients 
And you can choose from over 10 scents. If you are reading your own brand of deodorant or whatever it is, uh, body wash, and there's like 30 ingredients that you've never heard of, and they're all like polysyllabic mouthfuls. Yeah. Or if there's a picture on the back of it that has a monkey tied to a wall, <laughs> avoid avoid that. <laughs> why would they put that on the why would they put that on the packaging? Well, think about all those the the cigarette packaging in Europe where oh, covered right. with giant like this will kill you. Here's the tumor you will get. Listen, don't sweat making the switch from antiperspirant to uh, a deodorant. I see what you did there. Don't see? sweat. Bam. Uh with over fifteen thousand five star reviews, native will keep you feeling fresh all day long. 15,000 native users can't be wrong. It's an aluminum-free deodorant that works. Smell and feel fresh all day long with Native. Get 20% off your first order by going to nativedeo.com slash omnibus or use promo code omnibus at checkout. That's nativedeo, nativedeo.com slash omnibus or just use promo code omnibus at checkout. You'll get 20% off your first order. Don't sweat making that switch. Or just don't sweat at all. Well, I mean, you can't do anything about sweating. Well, I guess antiperspirant. No, but we're switching from antiperspirant to a deodorant. Remove your sweat glands or use native. Those are the only two options. What we're talking about, of course, is the stone of scone. The stone of scone. The stone of scone, which is a Big, as the name implies, a big stone. I thought you were going to say it's a big stone. It's a big stone. It's a, it's big, a, it's is a, a chunk. Is it bigger than Plymouth Rock? It's a big dumper. Because we're, we're, we've, we've been on the record as saying that Plymouth Rock is a big, is a bummer. It's not as big as you think, right? It's no, it's no moose, the Plymouth Rock. This stone of Schoon is smaller than Plymouth Rock. Is it any good? Because, well, you know, a small stone can be good if it's, you know, the quartz in your watch or the, the diamond in your ring. True. True. Size, sizes and everything. What about the stone in my heart? What about the stone in my <laughs> bladder? Gallbladder. My gallbladder grew three sizes that day. Well, let's, um, in order to get to the, the, the heart of the importance of the stone of scone. Or, we're gonna have to, or even the gallbladder of it. We're going to have to go all the way back. To? We're going to have to set the way back machine to way, way, way back. Is this pre-Norman? Are we going back to 9th century Wessex or something? No, we're going all the way back to Jacob. In the Bible? In Genesis. Wow. So like 4,000 BC when God created the earth. Well, a little bit after God created the earth. 3,999 BC. Do you remember... The earth is still piping hot from the oven. (laughs) Do you remember the story of Jacob? I do. Okay, give us the story of Jacob. Jacob uh, this is my favorite part of the show. When, it's when I do Bible trivia? Yeah, Bible, Bible quizzes. It's time for Ken's Bible quiz. Okay, Jacob in Genesis. Jacob is one of two sons of the biblical patriarch Isaac, Isaac and Rebekah. Did he come first or second? Well, that's the whole tricky thing about Jacob. Go on, go on. Jacob was born first, but his furry brother Esau was able to trick their aged parents into giving him, Esau, the birthright. Uh, Esau. Esau's a bit of a trickster. Is he a little bit of a baby elephant? Uh, well, Isaac's less furry. E- right. Esau's kind of a baby gorilla. But he's a trickster. He's- yeah, he's an Esauit type. Yeah, exactly. He's a, he's, maybe they should rename Esauit Esau. Esau. So through a series of ta- complicated tactile disguises and uh, uh, delicious bowls of soup, Esau arranges to steal 
Jacob's legitimacy as the firstborn son. Is this the part of the story that's relevant, or are we are we it talking is. about uh, adult Jacob wrestling with an angel? Nope. This is this is the, it's well, it's right in between. <laughs> so uh, Jacob goes on to well. So we're talking about Genesis twenty-eight. Okay. Chapters. That's, that's my favorite Genesis album. Yep, or, Did they uh, number theirs like Chicago? Is that like a uh huh? Genesis twenty-eight. Prog rock convention. Uh, Eighteen through twenty-two. And and it, this tells the story of Jacob, uh, it, in you know wandering the wilderness in exile or or having been uh, deprived of his birthright. Oh yes, there's an altar of some kind, right? He lays down to go to sleep, and he has a dream where there's a, there's a ladder there's going a to ladder. heaven. That's the later inspiring the Tim Robbins movie Jacob's Ladder. That's right, the titular ladder, Jacob's Ladder, and he sees that he that and there's God, and God says, Jacob. You are the one that's going to inherit the, uh, you know, all of the kingdoms. Despite last time, your brother really outmaneuvering you with the soup. You're gonna get the. You're gonna get all the kingdoms. Yay! Uh, and you're gonna take those kingdoms from Israel, and you're gonna spread them around the world. In fact, they re, he, Jacob is renamed Israel in this vision. Our, the this modern name of the state of Israel comes from God's new name for Jacob. So Jacob wakes up. And the thing is, Jacob was so poor that he... How poor was he? He was so poor that he lay down that night with a rock for a pillow. Mm. You remember this? I do. And he woke up in the morning and there was the rock and he said, I have had this tremendous vision and I am going to consecrate this rock as my holy pillow uh, because this was the this was where I had my my great... Vision. Effectively, it becomes like a stone altar of a kind. Becomes a stone altar, um, and is a, a treasured piece of the uh, patrimony of the region wait, there in it, Bethlehem. Wait, is there a place where this is said to have taken place, and therefore some likely rocks outside of Bethlehem? Huh. Outside of uh, Bethlehem, which was named by Jacob uh, Bethel. I'm going to. Ca- oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Stone in um, Bethel, and so there it remained. Until uh, several thousand years went by, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar, now how do you pronounce that? I say Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is how they say it. I just was testing you. I don't know. With Nebuchadnezzar. You kind of had a, had a, had a quixotic approach to, uh, to testing me there. So Nebuchadnezzar uh, of, the, uh, of the Babylonians mm-hmm. is conquering Jerusalem. Yes. In his bad way, and no less a person than Jeremiah, the prophet, the prophet Jeremiah. This is in about five hundred and eighty odd, uh, what we used to call BC before Christ, and now we say before the Common Era BCE. I think Earth, Earth less piping hot. No one has said BC in a long time, right? It still seems new to me. No, I feel like. I feel like BC and AD actually still have some currency. I think some style guides actually recommend that as oh. if, as because it takes a while for upstart thought technology like CE and BCE to take off. Yeah. Plus, it's the kind of thing that now will become a Fox News story where it's like, guess well, what, boomers? Well, the that they've made woke. your they've made your Scooby Doo gang lesbians now in the schools. So Jeremiah is uh, he bails on Jerusalem. He he gets out of there, and. In the course of uh, of splitting to Egypt, he travels with his scribe Baruch. Okay, and must be nice to have a scribe when you travel. Tell you what, 
and a few of the daughters of Zedek, Zedekiah. Zedekiah. Thank you. The king. Zedekiah, the, the last king of Judah. Mm. So he takes a couple of daughters with him. Wow, he's got, he's got princesses into the wild. He does. Now, he's already kind of old at this point. So I, uh, so I think the daughters are just like, let's go. It's not like, hey, I'm taking some daughters. Maybe. It's more like, hop in. You daughters come with me. I'll keep you safe. Come with me if you want to live. And they and they go to Egypt, and uh, uh, maybe the trail grows cold. Maybe they found the, the the lost tribes of Israel. You know, there's a lot of possibilities. Who can say from there? Uh, but one of the stories, it's a popular story, and you you will soon be able to guess popular with whom. <laughs> one of the stories has it that Jeremiah and. Uh, and the daughters of Zedekiah, including the oldest daughter, Tea Tefi. Okay. Probably not biblical, but okay. They journey to Ireland. Famous location of uh, Judean prophets. If you were gonna if you were fleeing from Judea, where would you go? Obviously Ireland, because there's probably a cheap Ryanair flight. That's right. It's probably twenty six bucks before they add all the baggage fees. They would have uh, they would have taken a shuttle. Right, a, a, a shuttle boat. This is one of my favorite things about medieval Britain, how they're so convinced that they must be the continuation of biblical culture, that you've got all these hymns about how, boy, there's nothing more uh, Jerusalem-y than the one we're going to build here in uh, Sussex. Well, it was, very, it was very popular retconning in medieval Britain, but yeah. we will see in a second that it is not confined to medieval Britain. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um. So as the story goes, and again, this is uh, this is retconned with an awful lot of um, well, there's there are modern scholars that real scholars that really want this to have this trip to have happened, yeah, and want to find some historical documentation of it. Now, I mean, there's probably very little historical documentation of Jeremiah the prophet period, much less of Ireland at this time. Well, and seems unlikely that we're going to find his um, we're going to find his plane ticket. Yeah, five hundred uh, and eighty BC. It does feel like the Irish were not keeping a, a really great records. Most of the records would have been in song. They were having a hard time keeping their peat dry. Yeah. in six hundred BC. So, of course, most of the documentation of this story starts to uh, come up in about fifteen hundred AD. <laughs> so, two thousand years later, hard to draw a direct literary. Uh, timeline, but Jeremiah apparently, along with a, a few of the princesses of Zedekiah, also brings the pillow of Jacob, the consecrated stone that had been hanging out in uh, in Bethlehem. I mean, we've we've still skipped centuries of we still skipped you know centu- untold centuries of how the stone got from. Thousands of years. Jacob to Jeremiah. Yeah. Well, I guess it was there in yes, Bethlehem. Millennia. And of all of the things, as you are fleeing uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, of all the things to grab on your way out, like you want to get your photo albums, you want to get like maybe your your, your, your Krugerrands out of the safe. Yeah, your birth certificate, and also the very, very large stone 
that had that was uh, that was the pillow of Jacob. How, now, how big is the stone as we as we see it today? Because this is how heavy is it? As we see it today, now I'm going to give you the measurements in uh, in our imperial measurements, and and then, thank you. And I'm also and that's for our American listeners, and then for our international listeners, I'll also give it to you in this weird other form. We should record a second version of the show every week that has all metric yeah. measurements. Normally, I don't do it. I just say inches, and I assume that. They can figure it out. Yeah, because because people all around the world watch American television. But here's what I'm going to tell you. It's about uh, two feet by one and a half feet by slightly less than a foot. And it's sort of uh, rectangular and it weighs about 335 pounds. It's the size of that toy basket over there. It's exactly the size of that toy basket. Uh, to our international listeners, that is 66 centimeters by 42 centimeters by 26 centimeters, and it weighs 152 kilograms. So not a giant boulder, but um, not trivial to carry around. Right. A man could not do it, much less an elderly Jeremiah type. Right. And I'm betting a man and two princesses, between two and three princesses, could only barely... Yeah, I mean, you could maybe shuffle it across the room, but... to from Palestine to and Ireland? You've also got Baruch, but I'm betting that there had to be other He's people described. involved. Yeah. He doesn't have a whole lot of upper body strength. And you're going from Egypt and Spain and all these other places on your way to Ireland. But Hey, but, why are you guys carrying that rock? Yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no problem. No, no reason. Don't worry. We're fine. It's not a consecrated pillow rock by any means. Anyway, so here is how the connection gets made. Um, connection is made. The Tia. Uh, Tefi, which you're right, is not a biblical name. That is a, a Gaelic name to describe this eldest daughter of Zedekiah. My favorite Jewish-Irish princess, or Jip. <laughs> she marries the king of Ireland, whose name is spelled E-O-C-H-A-I-D-H and is pronounced Yoke. Or, yeah. No, you said you said Oka. Oka. It's pronounced Oka. That sounds right. Yeah, Oka. All the DH stuff goes away. But also the Oka. AI stuff. So yeah, that always happens in Irish. Yeah, so basically IDH is gone and it's just Oka. They're very ambitious Oka. when they're when they're writing. But you'd think flower, being flower of speech, they would really like to ham it up with the pronunciations, but but they don't. I wonder if in their fancy writing, they just put a really long squiggly tail on the A and later scribes were like, I guess that says A-D-H? It's possible. This is like me trying to read a Final Jeopardy response. Anyway, they together spawn what becomes the royal line of Tara, which then is because she was the eldest daughter of the last king of Judah and because Judaism is a Matrilinear, matrilineal yes. religion, the royal line of Tara in Ireland becomes the royal house of Israel. Royal house of Israel. Now, I don't want to sound too skeptical on religious matters because that's not that's out of character for me, but it does seem like this is the kind of thing you would want to invent after your country had been Christianized to show that its pre-Christian roots actually had a deep royal connection to your new faith tradition. Interesting. Do you not buy this? Interesting. No, I mean, teach the controversy. That all seems that Do, all seems right. Doesn't that seem more likely? So you brought us this new holy book. Hey, actually it turns out the people in this holy book are our 
ancestors? Did right. we did we not mention that? Right. Well, and there is a um, a lot of this scholarship then goes back and says, ah, there's a lot of reference to Jeremiah. It's just that we called him a different name because uh, we couldn't pronounce Jeremiah or because we added an I-D-H to the end of it. Um, but again, all, most of those records begin in the Middle Ages. Do you know why? Um, the, I just thought of this. Do you know why the princesses didn't kiss Jeremiah? Why? Because Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Did you just think of that? Or yeah, it, took, it, been it, work- it took me quite a while. You haven't been working on that the for half an hour? Been, the wheels have been chugging away. He would have turned back into a. He would have turned back into Jeremiah, but but they didn't do it. They didn't kiss him. Dun dun dun. Um. So then the the stone then. So the stone's in Ireland. Uh, the stone so is in Ireland. Is there a historical Irish stone that comes to be associated with this tradition? Why? Yes, there is. Uh, it is uh, within in Ireland. There is a stone right now called the Stone of Destiny. Hmm. Uh, in Gaelic, it's known as the Leofail. Uh, I'm just, I'm just taking a wild swing at that. That was an epic Leofail in Lea pronunciation. Leofail, fail, uh, L-I-A, F-A with a Axantigu, I-L. It is not called an Axantigu in Irish, I'm sure. It's but. an Axantigrav, it's Axantigrav. No, I don't know which one it is, and I it is called, you would be able to know better than I. But it is the Stone of Destiny. That's or, such a great name. It's yeah. like from an 80s straight-to-video fantasy movie. Like, the Beastmaster through the Portal of Time probably has the Stone of Destiny, or, or one of those Conan sequels. It's also called the Speaking Stone. Um, Ooh, what does it do? Well, it uh, it's where you go to speak. I don't think the Stone, maybe the Stone oh, speaks to you. I see. It's the Stone for speaking. But... At- it either was brought to Ireland by a by a like a half half man half god race of uh, of ancient Gaelic partiers, or maybe it is related to the. I I don't think that it is. Well, here we'll get there. We'll get there. The, I did not mean to jump ahead. This is a so that is the Stone of Destiny in Ireland was where the Irish kings were crowned. They sat on the Stone of Destiny. Although now the Stone of Destiny it still is in Ireland and it is erected as a standing stone. So it would be very hard, I think, to sit on it. What does that mean? It's erected as a standing stone. Well, it's like on its end. Oh, I so see. You'd have, to, you'd have to kind of perch. Yeah, it's sort of tall. It's like a. It's you, like. You'd well, be swinging your legs if you sat on it. I mean, I guess it's only three feet high, so you could, yeah, you could jump. You could it's a bar, hop up is it on bar it. stool height? Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't look comfortable to sit on. Hmm. I assumed that it was laying flat back in the day, but maybe not. Maybe the the half uh, gods stuck it in the ground. It's got stones around it. It's very. It's, well, it's some kind it's of historical appealing. Stonehenge-like spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, yeah, it's it's been there for an awful long time. And it is reputed to have uh, mythical or magical powers. Um, the stone uh, could rejuvenate the king. Mm. It uh, it made some kind of noise when it uh, when the king sat on it, like a like a roar. It's like a whoopee cushion. It went roar when the 
King of Ireland saddle. Is that how you can tell if somebody's the King of Ireland? Yes. Hey, hey have a seat over here. Yes. It's be- like the princess and the pea. Because, uh, because a, uh, like a, a, a false king sat on it and, uh, and didn't, it didn't roar. And then uh, a different king hit it with his sword because he was mad at it. Mm. You know, Ireland's a complicated country. Yeah, but a roaring stone is a good thing to have around. A roaring stone gathers no sauce. (laughs) So in about 500, up to the year 500 AD, all all the Irish kings were crowned on the Stone of Destiny. Um, In about 500, Irish king Murtaugh McGarrick loaned the stone to his... Nephew Fergus probably shouldn't loan out your the magical roaring stone that's the legitimacy of your reign. Well, because Fergus was uh, Fergus was becoming king of Scotland, which was part of the Scots Irish mega kingdom. They were unifying the family, and so he was going to take the stone to Scotland and be uh, have his his coronation there. Okay. And you needed the stone to have it be a legitimate coronation. But then Fergus, although crowned in Scotland on the stone of destiny, uh, Fergus then uh, drowned in a shipwreck. And the stone, he was supposed to bring the stone back, but the stone ended up marooned in Scotland. At least it's not at the bottom of the ocean. It wasn't aboard the, sh- the wrecked ship. There you go. Okay. Now, it's... Somewhat confusing how there currently is a stone of destiny in Scot- in Ireland, and also this particular stone of destiny. Well, sure, this is like having so many shards of the true cross, you can make a forest. A lot of stones of destiny, and it's. I don't think it's possible. I mean, it's possible that the two stones of destiny once were one stone of destiny. Sure, or maybe once a stone of destiny leaves Ireland, a backup stone of destiny is chosen or assumes the mantle or maybe the stone of destiny that uh, that murtaugh sent with fergus was oh, not the real stone of destiny it was like a backup stone of destiny yeah uh either way there now was a scottish stone of destiny which became the stone that scottish kings sat on to be crowned uh for many centuries now the stone at this point um has a couple of iron rings buried, you know, buried into its sides. So you Presumably can to, to help lift it or help move it, lift it up. And it's got By chain? some, some crosses carved into it that must've happened somewhere during the Christianization. So it seems like, although this was a consecrated Holy stone, not so holy that you couldn't chip crosses into it and stick iron rings into it because, you know, it needed, they needed it to be easier to schlep. Yeah, you're, it still apparently has whatever its symbolic or totemic power, right? Even if you mod it, trick it out, it's a little tricked out. Are we ever going to get back to the purported biblical origins of it? Like, is that at what point do people start to say? And clearly, this came from Ireland, which is where Jeremiah left it. Well, the the question of how it, um, I think. I think until the Christian period, the stone of destiny was seen as a mythical, yeah, mystical it, stone. It was where the the old gods, before they got downgraded to fairy status, would, would right. be worshipped, right? 
the I think the story of it being from Jeremiah and Jeremiah's arrival in Ireland. And therefore Genesis 23 or whatever you said. Those stories go back word of mouth all the way to the Christianization of these places. Because as you say, it, you know, it's nice to think of us, to think of the Irish as one of the lost tribes of Israel, if you're looking for a Christian justification. But when it shows up, by the time it shows up in Scotland, people are already saying these religious stories about it, these Christian stories about it? Yeah, it's a, uh, I mean, it, it sort of depends on who, I mean, at this point, the in 500, Scotland is Christianized. Mm-hmm. Right? Wait a minute. Yeah, the, the, the transfer of the stone from Ireland to Scotland kind of coincides with the Christianization of Scotland. And that Christianization happened as a sort of combination of factors. The, the dying embers of the Roman Empire, there were Roman legions that brought Christianity from Rome, but mm-hmm. also through Ireland, there was a lot of missionary work over to Scotland as the, you know, in the, in the admixture of those two nations. So the stone and Christianity and the Kings of Scotland all kind of coalesced together in, uh, this tradition of sitting on the stone to be crowned King and that then legitimizing it, legitimizing your Kingship by connecting it to, uh, the, the God of Israel. The God of Israel, and then our relationship to the God of Israel. Yeah. The the later stuff, the medieval stuff, was all part of the kind of uh, uh, the movement of, wait a minute, can we find literary justification for these stories? Can we actually go back through the libraries and find in the, you know, in the scholarly work some kind of historicity to uh, the tales. And that continues to the day, to yeah. this day. And part of it, as you were saying, um, it became part of a movement later on in the, in the 18th century known as British Israelism. I think we might've talked about this before, but I can't remember which entry. Yeah. I don't remember either. But yeah, founding Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. Right. An and idea that most Christians would think of as a fairly odd thing to do. British Israelism, it turns out, is what actually drove the rats out of Ireland. <laughs> um, but British Israelism, uh, the idea of it ultimately was that because the princesses of Judea established their kingdom in Ireland, what that means is that the Jews are not actually the Jews. The Jews are not oh, I see. the descendants of it's, it's not just that we're it's not just that we're an offshoot, it's we're the actual Exactly. We're the actual Cleveland Browns. And the, they're the, not. The Jews themselves are descendants of a relationship between Lilith and Satan. Wow. So there's yeah. so this is not just um this is actually some pretty strong anti-Semitism. Yes, right. It's, it, a, it's a way to delegitimize uh, Jewish immigration into the UK. It's been very difficult over the centuries for Christian nationalists to reconcile their Christian nationalism with... With the Jewish roots of their religion, The right? Jewish roots of their religion. And so if you make this, if you make this connection, which comes before 
Christ, right? This all happened 500 years before Christ. Asterisk. The, the, the true, yeah, right. Spoiler alert. Uh, the true, the true right. Israel lives in England. And that uh, British Israelism really affected the Pentecostal and Mormon movements in the United States. Like a lot of that idea of, oh, no, no, it's actually, there's actually a connection that predates you know, what we think of as the connections. Right. The, the cliffhanger of the lost tribes of Israel is a very, is a very compelling part of the Bible for other people to hang new theology onto. Yeah, it really is. And these ideas now really underpin the Christian identity movement in the United States. If you scratch the surface of Christian identity, I, I don't know what this is some white nationalist. Yeah, thing? It's the white, it's the whole it's white the nationalist Christ, movement. Christo fascism. Um, that, you know that it it is seeking to legitimize the idea that that America is a fa- is a Christian nation, and also the Russians are using it to justify that Russia is a Christian. We're always the chosen people. Right. Our holy book about how the Jews are the chosen people. Please pay no attention to. Well, it's really about us. Yeah, and the Jews themselves are just uh, they're a, a real problem. Not actually the Jews. They're they're a different group. Wow, I don't think I knew any of this. That's, yeah. This is appalling. They're from Satan. Anyway, here the stone sits in Scotland for another uh, 700 years with a lot of Scottish kingly butts, uh, big dumpers sitting on it. In kilts. Until Edward I, Edward Longshanks, Mm -hmm. in his invasion of Scotland in uh, 1270-aught. And and from the movie Braveheart? uh, And from the movie Braveheart. Uh, I guess I guess he was king. Uh, he was king from 1272 to 1307, and in 1296, when he invaded Scotland, he took the stone of destiny, the stone of scone, stone of destiny part two, Scottish version, colon, Scottish, re- Scottish remix, uh, the stone of destiny as we understand it today. He took it back to England with him as a spoil of war, whereupon. I mean, that's just a symbolic gesture like, your kings aren't anymore. We've got your magic rock, right? We've got your magic rock, and it's part. it, it was part of the, uh, I mean, it's like subjugating Scotland to England because if the Scottish kings are, um, are crowned on this stone, then... Guess what? Guess we'll, what? We'll, we'll crown our own Scottish kings. We'll crown as many Scottish kings as we want. Yeah. And so Edward had made for the, the, for the stone of destiny a chair. Wait, what? A chair that contained the stone. So the stone, it's a big wood chair, mm. and the stone was in the chair. When you sit on it, are you sitting on a wooden seat above the stone, or are you sitting on like a toilet-like hole in the wooden part that makes your, that lets you sit on rock? For centuries, you just sat on the rock. Mm-hmm. The stone held the rock, and then you sat on the rock. The chair held the rock? The chair held the rock. Okay. Uh, the chair held the stone, and you sat on the, sat directly on the stone. It looks like a throne. Uh, I see, but it's like a bucket you've put the stone in. Or yeah, something. it's a throne with a, with a stone, and the stone is the seat of the chair. And this is called St. Edward's Chair, the Coronation Chair. It was 
it was crafted by a carpenter by the name of Walter of Durham, and it's the oldest thing that can be attributed to a single named carpenter. In Britain or in the world? Well, I think maybe in the world. In the world. Yeah. Walter of Durham being the, the oldest carpenter we know of who made the coronation chair. The stone, you sat, if you were being crowned a, 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 the monarch of, of England. Which is a big if, uh, in you my would, case. You would sit directly on the stone until the 1600s, at which point a wooden seat was added oh, okay. on top of the stone, although the stone was still in the chair. This, so you, is, this is the equivalent of Pope's not riding horses anymore. Yeah. Somebody wanted a comfier seat at I'd some like point. a little bit of a wood seat. That is a cold stone. Got it. Um, the chair over the years has become fancier and fancier. It was gilded lions were added to it. Oh, then, so there's still a chair. It's, well, it's not just a stone? Oh, so sorry. Wait a minute. Sorry. Wait a minute. There were more, more lions that uh, was gilded and painted and inlaid. Um, and every... King or queen ordained in England sat on the chair. Uh, the chair was only moved a couple of times in that entire time. So it's always in Westminster Abbey the whole it time? It was moved once when... Um, they had to sweep under it. They did sweep under it, but no, it was it's heavy because it has a big stone in it. Uh, they moved it when... Uh, Oliver Cromwell was, right. and I think at one point, like he, like he moved it because it's a sign of the monarchy, or they moved it to get it away from him. No, I think they they moved it out into somewhere that wasn't Westminster Abbey, and he sat on it. Oh, even Cromwell's like, I got my magic. You got to sit I got on my magic, magic stone, butt rock. Um, in the 1700s, it was actually kind of a tourist attraction. You could pay a a, a small you know, a shilling or less and actually sit on it. There were no cameras, so you couldn't take a selfie there, but you could sit on the stone of scone. Was there an admission price? There was a little uh, admission price, but talk about times being, I know um, maybe being what they are. Yeah. uh, uh, The coronation chair actually has like people carved their initials into it. (laughs) Wow. And chipped off little pieces of it as, um, as souvenirs. Just like Plymouth rock. Just like Plymouth Rock. It, uh, in 1914, a bomb went off, uh, that was planted by suffragettes. <gasps> wow. And they were attempting to promote the, the vote for women somehow by blowing up the coronation chair. Well, they're merely soldiers in petticoats. That's exactly right. And the, but, uh. Uh, primarily because they were women, the bomb did not destroy the chair. You ready for me to sing? (laughs) 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 You look like you're waiting for me to sing something. I was waiting for you to sing. I was waiting for you to sing some song of condemnation. Of? Of me for saying that women can't build the same quality of bombs as male terrorists. We're merely soldiers in petticoats. Yeah, I knew you had it in you. Dauntless crusaders for women's votes. In World War II, they actually moved it to, to Gloucester Cathedral. Oh, to avoid the bombing. To avoid the bombing. But then moved it immediately back. In 1950, 
so the stone of scone and its place in in the uh the oh i should say that that of course over time uh england and scotland gradually unified that's what the u in uk stands for baby that's right in 1707 the treaty of union uh so at that point so kings of scotland had been doing without this until yeah. Until the 1700s. Yeah. Until the Stuarts unified the throne. That's right. Somehow they were able to be kings of Scotland without with, sitting on with this. With nobody roaring stone. at their butt. Um, but there has long been a Scottish nationalist movement, I would say, continuously. Yeah. And it was not until 1950 that a group of Scottish college students learned to read. Uh, Thank you. Finally, learned to read. Just kidding, Scotland. Language was finally brought to Scotland. No, they snuck down from Glasgow and stole the Stone of Scone. Wow, this is a real all timer as as far as fraternity pranks go. Yes, but the four of them were basically like Jeremiah and three princesses. They couldn't actually carry it. They dropped it and broke it. They broke a corner of it. Did off. they get it like 200 feet from Westminster Abbey? There? No, they actually managed to get it all the way back to Scotland. Wow. In 1950, where they hid it from the English, but, but they'd uh, broken it. Somebody ratted them out. Somehow, somehow, uh, the, uh, it was returned to England in time for the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, which was just a couple of years later. 1953. Maybe it just started roaring on the train when they were trying to get it back home on Rawr! British Rail or the... Rawr! Do you have a stone of scoon in that bag, young I man? Say. Nay, I don't. <laughs> I don't have it. Um, and by some wonderful coincidence, the last of the four students who were responsible for stealing the Stone of Destiny from, the, from its place in the... The chair of coronation. Yes, yes. Go on. Ian Hamilton, who became one of the leading lawyers and champions of Scottish independence. Oh, interesting. Died yesterday. <gasps> At the time of this As we record recording. This, early October 2022. He only died yesterday, the last of the four. Is, and this, was, is this what inspired your interest in the topic? No. I only discovered that as I was researching it yesterday. I, I said, wait a minute. Do you, that's have, an, not do you have an alibi? That's, this seems a little coincidental. Where were, where were you when when uh, former MP Hamilton died, or whatever? It seems a little it seems a little strange, but that is just how things work. There are no coincidences, or maybe there are. No one will ever know. Uh, but the four of them were were really celebrated in Scotland because it's exactly the kind of prank that the Scots love. That's also deadly serious, right? Because there is there is a sincere nationalist movement there particularly after brexit that may lead to a referendum soon well just the other day the uh current british tory minister Mm -hmm. it'll probably be somebody else by the time people hear this in a month (laughs) ms truss uh came out saying that that if the scottish people try to stage another referenda uh, of independence, she will fight it, saying that that was meant to be uh, only a referendum that happened once in a generation, and they already had theirs back in 2014, 
And so she is going to use her prime ministerial powers to to prevent it. And it's really the the lines of of Scottish self-governance now are blurry enough that it's not really clear whether or not she can or has to permit such a referendum. Well, and that's the thing. If you want to really get the Scots to push a referendum— the best way to do that is as an English prime minister to say that, that you're not allowed, they're not allowed unless I let you. Also, it's not like Liz Truss has the least shaky mandate right now. I'm not sure how much political capital she has to uh, yeah. piss off 60% of Scotland. I'm not sure she's going to make it to the end of the year. But in 1996, as, a, as an appeasement of the, uh, the Scottish nation and, um, and you know, in the, in the service of of goodwill mm-hmm. toward all, the British government returned a Tesco van rumbled northward. They returned the Stone of Destiny under considerable armed guard mm-hmm. to Scotland, where it currently resides in Edinburgh Castle, next to the Scottish Crown Jewels. Was that its old home? Like, is, is no, it, there's it, no historical reason for it to be in Edinburgh Castle? No, it the, lived under the Abbey of Scone right. or Scone or Schoon. Any vowel, really? Yeah, Abbey of Skin. Uh, that's where it. That's where it traditionally lived. Now it's in Edinburgh Castle because that's where everything. That's where tourists can file past it. That's I'm sure. exactly what it is. And um, but the coronation chair remains the only chair that any English monarch has been uh, has been crowned upon. Any upon the crown upon of upon which any uh, monarch has been thank crowned you. um ever since Edward Longshanks brought it back in twelve ninety six so the chair is still in Westminster. it the, just has an empty stone compartment beneath it and it was so it was so uh firmly ensconced in the chair that it took or a, ensconced we a, don't know ensconced it took a whole day and a whole team of people just to get it out of the chair huh and so for the coronation of Charles. King Charles III to happen at an un, uh, unnamed date at this TBA, point. TBA, game three if necessary. The Scots are returning the, sco- the Stone of Destiny to reinstall it in the chair for Charles's coronation. Just as a loner? As a loner. Then it's going to go back. A loner stoner? But, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't been used to this purpose since 1953, you think, so, it's, you think it's a little rusty? It might not have a good roar in it. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure. It, well, it's certainly like it's uh, it's gathering no moss up there. I wonder if this. I mean, the Scots had some leverage. They could have said, "Yeah, you'll get your rock back if we get our referendum." That's just free advice for I, me. I feel like it's all you know. It's all you 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 spread goodwill by by doing a good turn without hope of recompense. Do something nice for the sovereign's butt. That's as the old saying goes. Although it does suggest that the sovereign continue to have sovereignty over Scotland if you if you put his That's what I'm saying. His royal butt on the Scottish it's a, stone. It's a powerful symbolic gesture. Yeah, right. It is either a little, way. It's a little bit of a of a bending the knee. It hasn't happened yet. So some students from Glasgow may yeah. yet, or some suffragettes from Glasgow may yet thwart it. And that concludes the stone of scone, scone, or scone, or scone, as Shakespeare has it. Entry 1229.PS11822, 
certificate number 42504, in the omnibus. Uh, Futurelings, you can find us on social media in our day at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick, and at Omnibus Project. Uh, This would be the place to put it in our face when we immediately prove to be wrong about some detail of near-future British history. This is the place to put it in our face. This is the place to put it in our face. We're not prophetic. We don't, we're not the prophet Jeremiah wandering through northern Africa with a ragtag assortment of... Ragtag fugitive fleet. Of princesses and a scribe. No, although it's one of my aspirations to wander to wander through Egypt with a with a, a retinue of princesses and scribes. But if our prophecies do turn out to be accurate, perhaps we have inherited something of uh, Jeremiah's prophetic calling from our from our British ancestry, and, and we can go back proudly to uh, Anglang. My stoon of schoon is this squeaky chair. It's true. It it's roars. It, right it roars every time you sit on it. That's it's authentic. how we know I am the king. It's how we know you are moving around more than I do during the show. Also, is my chair less squeaky? It is. It's a little less squeaky. Well, you weigh fully 100 pounds less than I do because you are more elfin than I. We could switch. I'm like a I'm like a troll by comparison. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to switch because I've also I mean, I've just uh, I've thrashed this chair whereas you your chair is still fairly pristine. I'm like Prince Charles. I I dutifully repair every little rip and tear in this seat and you dutifully oh. repair every rip and tear <laughs> it's like why is this show a gilbert and sullivan operetta i don't know when i set up our our bunker originally i made i don't know why the category error of buying us white leather office chairs mm-hmm. which seems like what could what could be more uh, uh post dystopian than that yeah are they going to hold up over time but i but they seem to have but mine i actually I, I, Boots theory. I, I'm confessing now. I actually had to rebuild this chair, the one you're on. Yeah, I broke it just by sitting on it. So I had to, I had to take it apart and reinforce it with plywood. So it squeaks for other reasons, but the chair itself is has been bolstered. I mean, even the stone of schoon broke, and it's rock, and it's only been sat on what uh, eight times since the Stuarts. I lost count. Did mm. William and Mary both sit on it? I don't know. Maybe did, did they each sit on one side like a love toilet? Maybe one sat on the other's lap. Oh, that would be nice. Uh, there are a lot of other thrones used during the coronation. This is just the one when it actually happens. Then there are like more comfortable chairs that I they see. Sit you, in. You, you sit in this briefly. Yeah, and it's then a you long move on day to a I nicer think. seat. Yeah, uh, I will not be watching. Um, so send your objections to the omnibus project at gmail.com. If John and I turn out to be correct about every particular, please embrace us as your prophets. Go on the Reddit and talk about how great we are. Yeah. The, look for the future links on subreddits and discords and, uh, Facebook gathering places and the like. Uh, you could also send us physical items, although not heavy, uh, stone Jacobian stone pillows. No, no stones, but you could sell us. I, I don't know. You could send us scones. Send us little prophetic stones in a in a velvet bag. Send us clotted cream to eat on scones uh, to Omnibus Project. How long does clotted cream last? Is it, is it one of those things is in British grocery stable? stores that are shelf stable? I think you can open. I think you can jar clotted cream. Well, don't send us an open jar of it. 
No. Send us a send us your Sainsbury's clotted cream to PO Box five five seven four four Charlotte, Washington nine eight one five five, and we will sample it and let you know if it uh, gives us salmonella That's right. or not, if or or mad cow possibly if That's you're right. if you're British. You could join the Patreon. Would it kill you? Uh, Patreon.com slash Omnibus Project affords many chances to get other cool Omnibus stuff, including a bonus episode every month. If you have listened to all 512 Omnibus entries, but you are not a Patreon member, there are now upwards of 35 episodes you have not heard that you could binge in one crazy lost weekend just by becoming a, uh, a donor at the lowest level. At the lowest donor tier at patreon.com slash omnibus project. As Judas Priest famously said, do it. What did he mean though? Do Worsh- it. Did he mean worship Satan? You mean he. It's a band, not yes. a not a hymn. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean that Judas Priest was the hymn. Oh. I oh, meant, oh. Who said who I don't know. Who's the lead singer of that particular what what song is that even? Rob Halford. Yeah, is that no, there was that famous lawsuit where some kid did some bad things and his parents sued Judas Priest because they claimed that in one of their songs they said, do it. And then like, the kid went and did it, whatever it was. I don't, I don't think. The kid went and did it. You whatever. can't just apply it to whatever activity do you're it. annoyed about. Yeah, I don't know whether he killed his friend or he killed himself or shoplifted some candy bars. I mean, Judas, Rob Halford probably does want teenage kids to do a lot of depraved stuff. Do it. Don't get me wrong. I don't know. I'm not sure. He just seems like a regular middle-aged gay guy that just wants to well, now. have a clotted cream on his scone. <laughs> he doesn't want you to do something dangerous in traffic. Oh, you know, I meant to update people. I've been meaning to update people for a long time about my cryptocurrency <laughs> wallet. I forgot to say... Oh, uh, what a shame that we're out of time. I forgot to say that someone did put no. some Ethereum in my crypto wallet. They put $10 worth of Ethereum in there. And the last time I checked, Ken, it was worth $11. <gasps> wow. What about that? Well, if they had given you 10 British pounds, you would have now $9. So, right, right. So, so that, you, you did the right currency exchange it, there. It's doing better. It's doing better. So I want you all to, to remember that you can still, if you go back to the, I forget already what, what it was called. But uh, maybe all crypto the, all wallet the, all the great slash, shows, yes, whatever my crypto handle was. Anyway, I'm getting rich one Ethereum at a time. This is how you know that if you do this to John, he will not even mention your name or remember his wallet location. Well, I have to assume that the person that did it doesn't want their name mentioned because we're all part of a crypto brotherhood. That well, yeah, if you own cryptocurrency, all you're using it for is to buy. Uh, yeah, drugs on the Silk Road. Opium and, and, and trafficked children. Hopefully, the person that gave me that one thousandth of an Ethereum is not a trafficking ch- children. I, well, I talked not, to him not, a little bit. Not with that $10, he's yeah. not. I trafficked, or I, I did not I tra- traffic I trafficked, him. I trafficked him. I talked to him, and he seemed very nice. <laughs> Future links from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon. And we wish you many fine goods and delicious cheese. And clotted cream. And potentially Scottish independence. And hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the office.